Hi, I'm Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Joey and June Gordy in Nairobi, Kenya about what it's going to take to see multiplying disciples and churches across the continent of Africa. We were nicely asked to leave India due to our evangelistic activity there. So in the meantime, we moved to Malaysia and we were still working with South Asians as non-resident missionaries out of Malaysia. And we were really happy there. And I felt this stirring in my quiet time one morning, just thinking about how wonderful it was there and how happy we were. We were really thriving. I just felt the spirit stirring me saying, get ready. (laughs) And um, (laughs) uh, Joey randomly got an email one night asking us to move to Africa to help with training IMB missionaries there. And we honestly just laughed out loud. No, we're not going to move to Africa. We love working with South Asians. We love where we are. We had um, started work there also in Malaysia and things were going really well. And so we actually said no right off the bat. And um, the person who was asking us said, don't give me an answer till you've really prayed about this. And so we started really seeking the Lord and fasting and praying and, and Joey went out to visit. And after a month of really seeking the Lord, we felt 100% without a doubt that God was calling us to do this and then move to Africa. We felt like Nairobi was a good city to work out of if you're trying to focus a central location. Our family had actually just gotten through praying for every country in Africa. And we looked at the statistics on Operation World for each country. And I, re- I remember that Kenya was 60% Christian. And, and when, when Joey and I were 22 and first left for the field, it, our heart was to just not build on another man's foundation and to go where the gospel hadn't been preached. So I remember feeling really shooken, like, God, why are you calling us to live in this place that's 60% Christian? And, mm-hmm. and what's going on? And, and um, it, was, it was kind of a crisis for me. So we got to to Kenya and and shortly after started realizing that the nations were in Nairobi and and nations that are very unreached, the Sudanese, the Somalians, they're right there and accessible. And and, um, I mean, God's shown us that from this place, so many people can be reached. Mm -hmm. Um, He also kind of changed our, our thinking. And just really what he's calling us to do. We we used to think of it more as a place, but now we have this, this clarity of focus where, where we just see this beauty in, in um, sharing the gospel and, and raising up disciples and forming churches that multiply. And we just feel like that for us is the calling. And it doesn't have as much to do with the place or wherever he takes us even back home to North Carolina, that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of our life, wherever we are. But someone told us, uh, sometimes it's more important uh, who you serve with than where you serve. Um, and so that's, I've been chewing on that for a few years now because I think the previous 15 or however many years we've been overseas, 
we've always been targeting the least reached or the most remote locations of the people place. Um, and that, that can be quite taxing, actually. There's a need for it. It can be quite taxing without, um, without a team and uh, without the support structure. And when I say team, I really mean like a community of practice. I don't mean, you know, a traditional structure of team. I mean, those who are pursuing the same task alongside of you. And so Lord's sort of putting us in a season of one, relearning what a true team is. And two, uh, how, how can we invest our lives? It's almost like divesting, if I'm honest, like divest our lives into others. It's like, how do we give what we have and give it away? Um, so that we can raise up the next generation of foreign missionaries as well as local missionaries who go either come here or go out. What was the transition like for your kids? <laughs> so I'm laughing because um, we had in Malaysia, we had six kids and our, our youngest were twins. And that really threw us for a loop. And And I had been praying about whether we were done or to have more children for a while. And and one night, it was probably one in the morning and I was finishing cleaning the kitchen. Joey was traveling and I just cried and I, I prayed. I said, God, I can't have a, another child. Um, maybe if we move to Africa or something then. <laughs> and people have asked me, why did you pray Africa? And I, I don't know. I don't know why I said Africa in that moment. We had no thoughts of moving to Africa. Then we found out we were moving to Africa. And I told Joey, oh, I need to tell you about this prayer that I prayed. And I had envisioned Africa as you have a, a yard where kids can run around. Um, mm. Up until moving here, we had lived in apartments and just Asian style life where it's not so conducive to kids uh, living the little house in the prairie life. So we moved here. We did have another baby. We got to live on about 15 acres of a Baptist property. And the kids just turned into little naturalists and got to live the life I think they were created to live. And we're, we're really happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll transition. <laughs> they, it's funny how they always look back at the last place they lived in, you know, it's, so such fond memories to them. So they'll often talk about Malaysia. They don't really talk about India much. It's been too long. Yeah. But they'll talk about Malaysia and the friends they had. So there's a, I think we all have a longing for what was. Um, and so they, they're certainly transitioned in. Yeah. For the kids, there's a sorrow in their hearts um, of all the friends they've said goodbye to. And even the foods they love in our house, we will have like food from China from when we lived there, the food we loved there and the food we loved in Malaysia and the food we loved in India and people staying with us usually, you know, comment that like, where, where did you guys learn to love all these different foods? And it's just kind of like those pieces from everywhere God's taken us that, that we love. And, um, so you have the the sorrow of all those places that you loved and you're missing and you had to say goodbye to, but then you have such a richness of, of experience and, and rich friendships that you've gotten to have. So what did ministry look like when you, you started out? The harvest was plentiful uh, and has been plentiful for probably a number of decades. I think we have to look back and thank, you know, generations of um, missionaries and uh, just movements across Africa. Uh, most of them looked denominational, but the gospel seed was sown far and wide for the last 200 plus years. And so a lot of people actually gave their lives, in fact, mm. uh, for that cause. So by the time we show up, 
and many others in this generation show up, there has been a foundation of the gospel in the sub-Saharan regions of Africa. Uh, so there, there is a hunger. What we, what we found, though, whatever came with the gospel um, was steeped in tradition. Like So the husk. So if the kernel was the gospel, the husk was tradition. And it is very deep. Um, all kinds of traditions. Most of them look denominational. But all kinds of traditions that are really binding men and women, uh, I believe actually keeping them from being fruitful, if I'm just honest, keeping them from uh, being full of the Spirit, keeping them from uh, being um, the priesthood of the believer, keeping them from evangelism and disciple-making, and you name it, it's, it, it really is a big issue, maybe our biggest issue. So while the harvest is plentiful, there's so much baggage and tradition. Uh, uh, it's been interesting trying to cut through that and walk through that and call people into uh, a step of obedience out of tradition. Um, I'd also say there's a generation, so sort of in the mix of all that, there's a generation, it might be a global generation of youth that are a bit fed up with what they've had before, what their fathers told them was the right way. And they've, it just hasn't just, maybe they're more honest or more transparent, um, but it doesn't sit well with them. The sitting in a church once a week, the, maybe the hypocrisy they see in themselves and in others. Um, and so there's a hunger for something different. I think you have people experimenting with maybe other religions in Africa. We're finding people are going back, back to their ancestor traditions. So worshiping mountains and places, um, especially one of the tribes here, the Kikuyu, they've seen what the, what, in fact, what the colonizers brought which again is the tradition, right? The gospel may have been buried in tradition, but they see the tradition and they look on it as harmful. And so many of them are trying to go back to what their ancestors worshipped. Uh, but also some of them are hungry for something other than, and are finding it in, in the real Jesus, not in the church tradition Jesus. So there's a mixture there. Well, it was just interesting for us um, coming out of 10 years ministry in India, where we knew the language and we had gotten to, I guess, a very deep level of ministry. We were at the level where we were doing um, theological education, kind of on the fly type type thing. And and I know that, especially for Joey, it's it very stimulating and interesting. And, and here we are back in Africa and we don't know the language and we're just starting from ground zero again, starting all over. And, you know, just the going out, hitting the streets and trying to find those partners. And I know in the beginning there, we trained um, over 2000 people in just evangelism. <laughs> and Joey got to the point where he's like, I just want to move on to deeper things, you know, finding those those fourth soil um guys, church planters that you can really just pour the majority of your time into. And so we were we were just longing for that that rich ministry. But um, on the flip side, the the opportunity to start over um, was just such a huge learning experience for us. It was almost like everything we've done, everything we learned, we get to just start over and, and learn more, do it better, do it differently. God sent us Justin and Rachel White in the middle of that, who brought all these new ideas and new tools from what they had been doing in North Carolina. And it was a, just a real sharpening time. We felt like we were just babies again, learning everything new. And it was, I don't think we would trade that. 
Yeah. So for the whites, their intensity to the gospel and to disciple making, I don't think I've met others like them <laughs> who are just so focused and intent on gospel proclamation. Um, and so just a quick story behind that. Mm. When they came in, they have two daughters. Their two daughters are the same age as two of my of our children. Um, and so they came in. Are they on the ground like four days, maybe three or four days? Yeah, they're fourth day on the ground. They're, so <laughs> four days in a foreign country, and they're immediately sh- training people and out sharing the gospel. And I think it just took us by surprise. We're used to, <laughs> uh, forgive me for saying it, we're used to like, you, you know, holding people's hands and gently guiding them through their first steps of ministry and overseas life. That was certainly not the case. I felt like, like, they ended up holding our hands a lot when it came to their intensity and how they were sharing the gospel and training others. And then on top of that, with their girls immediately had their girls out training. So their girls were not only along with them in the ministry, they were in the front of the ministry with them and leading some of the ministry. And so that was, I think, inspiring for us and for our children as well to really engage as a family uh, in, in the training ministry. Also the evangelism part, taking taking our kids out, making sure that we're getting um, building habits as a family of sharing the gospel and making disciples together. But there's just people everywhere. It's, it seems like all the time, just on the street, milling around. Most people don't have automobiles, so they're walking everywhere. It's, it's different than the Western world, right? Uh, so there's just people about. And um, so we would just you know, stop one person, hey, can, and start sharing the gospel. And then I'd stop someone and my daughter would share the gospel. It was just the two of us that day. We came up to tray of you were selling like bubble gum and peanuts and you know that was it so maybe one or two other things bananas on the side of the road that was how he was making ends meet so no one was standing there so we just started sharing with him and uh, Kira my daughter uh, was able to share the gospel with him and we're just using really simple stuff like the 15 second testimony which by the way we learned after coming to Africa actually we had some NPL Army guys teach us the 15-second testimony and the two kingdoms. So those two things came from an NPL Army network brought to Africa, and we're just retooling as people come in and show us what, what's working in their part of the world. So we we used those two tools. Akira and my daughter used those two tools and led this young man to faith. I think he was probably 19, maybe 20 um, at the time. And uh, so it, it was an interesting, it was interesting because then the very next day, maybe, very soon after, uh, he came to our place to be baptized. And so he was led to faith on the street by my daughter. And then uh, we had a, a missionary with us who was brand new on the field, had been on the field maybe a week, and had never baptized, or really, I don't think ever made a disciple, ever, uh, as far as he could baptize someone. Ever. So it became a learning experience for him as well as my daughter. So this other missionary, they never baptized anybody. They baptized this young man and was just so full of, they were both, everybody was full of joy. You know, this, the way this team was working together, right? This community uh, working together to see the gospel proclaimed, someone come into the kingdom, another baptized. And now this young man, um, he actually is, um, he's, he's still faithful. He's very faithful, actually, sharing the gospel. Uh, I was with him maybe two weeks ago and someone came to faith in his neighborhood and he's looking at starting a church in this place where he, where he's currently living. So 
Uh, it's interesting to see how that started just from trying to get out and share the gospel and develop rhythms. Setting, I feel like we're setting the bar, the filter, higher and higher as we train. Uh, we meet a lot of people who uh, call Jesus their king, their Lord. We meet a lot of people who may be even interested in uh, discipleship. Uh, fewer people who are interested in sharing the gospel. Fewer still who would be interested in opening their home and starting a church. So the more we train, the more we realize if we set the bar at uh, who is willing to open their home and or or get into other people's homes and, and start churches, uh, it helped us identify those who were at least willing to, to go that far. So most of the ones that that have proven to be fourth soil, we didn't lead to faith. I'm trying to think of, there may be one or two, actually. The others we met, in fact, most of them, we either met through training, which was the purpose of doing all that wide training, or we met while we were uh, on the streets sharing the gospel with people. Uh, several, actually, we would be out in tough neighborhoods of town, just sharing the gospel as much as we could. And as we're sharing the gospel, people would come in behind us and uh, listen. And once we were done with that, we turn around and someone, this is a pretty common story, actually. Someone would say, I thought I was the only one sharing the gospel here until I saw you guys today. What are you doing? And so we would make a connection. Several of our uh, fourth soil people were already out doing what they knew how to do. And we just happened to be out there with some sort of visibility. And so they tagged along and we got to working together. One of, one of our partners, Robert, he found us online because he had a church and it was growing and it was headed towards just becoming a bigger and bigger church. And And God just really put on his heart to, um, to multiply churches rather than grow one big one. And so he found us online and reached out and asked for training. No, he actually found a friend of ours in England. I don't know how, maybe through Facebook. Uh, we have a friend in England who he connected with, and then because he was in Kenya, he got back to us. Yeah, so Joey went out there, and not, not, not always sure of the motive um, of people reaching out online. Right. Joey said, "Write off, like we're not, we're going to train and equip, but we're not giving money out." Um, yeah, I've, I've learned to set that filter early and often, uh, because especially people who meet us online or on the street, uh, I never know. It's difficult to know the motive. Even after some time, it's difficult to know the motive. So with him, I just, I was very upfront. I said, listen, I, you need to know that there won't be any money at all in this. But there, if if we continue down the, this road, there'll be love, there'll be training, and we'll work together, there'll be brotherhood. Just setting that expectation early. He was so thirsty and hungry. And, and when they did the training, it was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. This is what God's put on my heart. And he's, he's really taken off. He's so fun. So we visited once or twice. He just took everything that we had and gave it away, uh, which is how it's designed, but seldom actually works that way. <laughs> you know, usually there's a blockage somewhere, but he was just giving it to everybody. Uh, and I'm talking like any tool we had, whether it was this testimony or the kingdoms or whatever, he just immediately would give it away. Well, after about two months, he was he was at Justin's house, just visiting and getting sharpened. And we were sitting at the table. And he goes, guys, if we go down this road, uh, this, this is a movement. <laughs> like, it, you know, none of us had used that language with him. He's like, this is going to be a big movement. 
And so it just like the light bulbs came on. If we continue to equip people this way and hand it off, we can't really slow it down. It's going to continue to grow. And that became his, his first stuckage, actually, was he realized he was on the cusp of a movement and had no clue how to develop leaders who were moving so quickly ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And so we began to coach through how do we how do we help his leaders? How do we help him and his leaders? How do, how do we start that that work? So that's that's Robert. And actually, right now, uh, he is I mean, he just got back from a trip to Rwanda, where he was helping some movement leaders in other parts of East Africa get get vision and tools. And so the Lord is doing something with him and, and the network that he's a part of, uh, but also stretching him into other networks right now. And he's doing some coaching and some learning from, from those guys. Okay. So I think about Robert, I just think simple obedience. He just purely took the training and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do and, and went out and did it. And we, we haven't had to battle um, with him about just trying to make it more official or um, more elaborate or trying to add on. He's just simply doing it. Yeah. With Robert, uh, our role, he's a really faithful brother. Um, now we spent some time in his village, which is not close to here. And so I think that really speaks a lot to him, just staying with him in his in his village and and being out among his people. There's a, a pretty severe alcohol problem in his village. And so uh, I think sharing the gospel in the streets with him and his people has been just modeling it, but also uh, more being with him alongside of him was was huge to Robert. Then he's been here and stayed uh, some time with us. I wish we had a lot more time. I wish he was closer because I think I think time and relationship is is the answer to that question. How do we? What's our role? Um, but we have to we have to make do like when he's when he's around and when we're there. Um, but it's all it's all coaching. Uh, he comes to our. Um, mid-levels he comes to our sometimes he's leading a mid-level like i just mentioned he's, he was helping with one in rwanda um just a couple weeks ago rose is a woman on the coast and so she's working in a predominantly muslim area and we know missionaries in that area like there's a certain tribe they haven't seen anyone believe in that tribe in the last 10 years and she's got whole churches of muslim background believers starting and multiplying within that tribe and others. She God's just brought these leaders around her that she's coaching and discipling and they're all they're dividing and conquering and working together. And their um churches are multiplying down to Tanzania now. Yeah. And it's it's really exciting. Just places where people said, you know, this can't work. People aren't going to believe here. Mm-hmm. The work's too hard. Yeah, there's a handful in the city as well. Just once the whites moved here. We sort of adopted this uh, residency uh, leadership development program that they that they and others uh, piloted in the U.S. Uh, we just finished our first year residency this week, uh, so it's been going for a year. And out of that, there's a handful of others who are urban. Uh, you might want to say, you know, co-vocational type leaders. Who uh, and just spread out across the city who have been very faithful to share the gospel, start start new work in their areas, uh, and committed to one another as well. So um, 
We're seeing that in Kenya uh, as we move further afield to other parts of East Africa or other parts of Africa. We're also seeing breakthroughs. The, the issue, Steve, that we're finding is just limited amounts of time uh, in order, if, if relationship is the glue, you know, especially for leadership development, if, if that's the glue of spending time uh, together and in the harvest and in the word, uh, it's really difficult to do that with people who are in other countries. So that's taken a lot of time to get to, uh, get to that. We're, we're, we're in, on the cusp, I think, of trying something different. Uh, knowing that relationship is what we need and knowing we're seeing these sort of fourth soil people emerge in different parts of Africa, but we don't have the resource, man, man, man hours to put into uh, deep relationship in every country at this point. We're praying the Lord will send more laborers and we will, but for the time being, uh, we're praying through starting accelerated residency, probably in Nairobi, where people from other parts of the continent uh, can come in for four to six weeks and we get four to six weeks of relational time in the word with one another and out in the harvest building these rhythms together and then launching back so that's probably something that will start in 2023 knowing that that will be a limited time only so once we get those fourth soil partners uh up and going in ghana and nigeria and you know morocco wherever they they come from south africa then they'll also have their own residencies running. We won't have to keep bringing people here. Tell us about the sort of people you're looking for to join you on the ground in different parts of Africa. Back to the story of the whites coming out and training on their fourth day. And and it really blew us away and challenged us. We just never seen anybody do that. And, and, and they were able to do that because other people had done model, assist, watch, and leave with them and worked with them in the field. And they've gotten experience working in their home state. I mean, they're in America before they came. And I think that's the kind of people we're looking for. But um, just people that, that have done this where they live in their home before they, they take off to go to a new land. Another option is just coming out, joining our team here in Nairobi and doing life with us and doing model assist, watch and leave with us here. And with this, we have a strong team here. So working with the team and learning it and then launching out from Nairobi. If we could demystify missions just a little bit and say, really what we're looking for are disciple makers who feel a call or a desire to be global. Many years, many generations uh, people have raised their hands to go overseas and not, not been trained or not been really making disciples uh, in their home context. And so they would go overseas and then learn how to do it, perhaps on the field or in, in route to the field uh, to do that. And I think if we could flip that paradigm and see disciple makers who have the desire to go somewhere else and help out where, where help is, is wanted and needed, then uh, that's probably our ideal candidate to come work here. Also, the caveat is this is a huge continent. Our globes don't do justice to how enormous it is because we've had to like pack it into something we can carry around with us or a map. But if you look at how how the continent is actually shaped, um, it just puts in perspective uh, the diversity of, of language, people, place. It's massive. So um, our goal with bringing people in for a season on the team 
is just that, that it would be a season. So I've been telling uh, people interested, come in for six months, maybe a year, maybe, but don't harvest, learn things like cross-cultural evangelism, working, actually working with Muslims in town and things like that. And then let us launch you either with a team or to start a team somewhere else. And so we're identifying cities across the continent where we feel like the next step should be, the next launching pad should be for the next team and the next after that. So that's ideal candidates would come into Nairobi, hopefully having already had a season of disciple making somewhere in the world, preferably at home, but not necessarily. could be somewhere else. Um, and then come in, learn the rhythms that we're developing here in urban ministry, as well as somewhere else and do the same to multiply. What's the opportunity for Africa right now? Well, there's more Christians in Africa than any other continent on the world. And there is a vacuum of discipleship. And um, COVID here really shook things up. Post-COVID, when we have conversations with believers, they they all believing in Jesus was never a problem, but um, COVID shook them up and make them, made them question how they're living their life. And a lot of them realized they're not really living for Christ. And they want to start sharing the gospel and discipling others. They want to do this, but they don't know how. We have these conversations daily. Yeah. People want it with this desire, you know, God's the the story is usually the same. God's lately been showing me that there's more, but I just don't know how. I think the global disciple making potential uh is I don't think we can even calculate it from Africa. Mm-hmm. But it's it remains potential right now. Mm-hmm. Uh like like June said, sub-Saharan Africa is the most densely populated Christian continent planet right now. So since Jesus was resurrected and went back to heaven, this is where most, the majority of Christians right now in this season, however, it remains potential Uh, for many of the reasons you just mentioned. It's uh, Jesus is very cultural. We believe in Jesus, following him, being obedient is is, uh, something else. Uh, We're seeing people turn that corner, but not in vast numbers. Also, like I started off saying, there's so much tradition and so many barriers to break through. So the potential is huge. I think uh, the more disciple makers who have left traditions behind, who can either come up from the ground or come from other fields and join us here, uh, that potential can be realized. Uh, First of all, while we have sub-Saharan Africa densely populated with, with Christians, you have the Horn of Africa that is... (laughs) <laughs> it really unengaged. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess the gospel is there and has been there, but it's just militantly Islamic. So uh, just a real challenge when it comes to moving uh, movements, so Christian movements going that direction. So there's the, the Horn of Africa and then all of the North of Africa above us. And so um, one of the challenges is moving, you know, a Christian movement North and East but also inviting others from anywhere in the world to come in, partner with us, and help uh, launch hubs in the north and the east so that when we send people from the southern parts of Africa or the sub-Saharan parts of Africa, they have teams to land on and they have rhythms to join and they have people helping them learn the right language and the right rhythms in those places. This continent is being strategically targeted by the nation of Islam. They have their strategy of, of going into villages and building schools and providing health care if you become Muslim. And they're trying very hard 
pouring lots of effort and money into making this continent, um, turning this continent Muslim. And it's effective. And Islam is growing in Africa. And I feel like there is a a real spiritual battle going on here right now. And I feel like we can't be asleep anymore and we need to engage. It's effective and it's visible. However, I think the real Christian movement has to be underground and almost invisible. Mm -hmm. I think because of the traditional barriers that we're facing, Unless it is an underground movement, it doesn't move, it hardly moves in the sub-Saharan pieces that have had the gospel for so many years, but it certainly doesn't move into places like Somalia, Sudan, Eritrea, and beyond. So I think the equipping of the underground movement uh, starts here and helping people break all of those traditional identities and go back to sort of the uh, uh, insurgent Jesus movement that it's vibrant, but also a bit underground. Um, I think that's the training ground for sending people further afield. Visit movements.net, episode 289, to find out more about this great work in Africa. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.